Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. I have no doubt from reading his poetry and his emails that he is a very smooth talker. He's debonair and he's well-spoken and I'm sure he's charming and funny. He is definitely the craftiest and probably the most intelligent perpetrator that I've come across. It would be very easy for anyone to get caught up in that. It's the fall of 2010, and 52-year-old Sue Markham is finally feeling settled in her new home in a peaceful neighborhood just north of Washington, D.C. It's the perfect location for Sue, just a few miles from American University, where she works as an accounting professor. But then early one Monday morning, Sue's home is suddenly transformed into a crime scene, and police begin their hunt for a cunning and savage killer. I'm Steve French, and this is Unsolved Mysteries, the body at the bottom of the stairs. It's Monday, October 25th, 2010, and Sue Markham's friend has been trying to reach her all morning. He and Sue had been close friends for a long time. They call each other every day or nearly every day. When he did not receive a call from her that morning, he tried to call her and was unable to reach her. The concerned friend heads to Sue's home on Massachusetts Avenue in Bethesda, Maryland. When there's no answer at the door, he lets himself in with a key that Sue had given him in case of emergency. The house appears empty, but he's alarmed to see broken glass and overturned furniture obvious signs of a struggle. He searches the house for Sue, calling her name. Then, at the bottom of the basement stairs, he makes a horrific discovery. I had just gotten into my office. It was very early in the morning to receive a call like this. Larry Haley has logged 22 years as a law enforcement officer and in 2010 was a homicide detective with the Montgomery County Police Department. They told me they had found somebody deceased at the bottom of a stairwell in a residence. They weren't sure at that time if the person had fallen or if some other trauma had occurred. When I arrived there, of course, there's a, a large patrol presence. One of Sue's friends was on scene already and obviously found her deceased at the bottom of the stairs. And there, there's no way for us to rule him out at that point, you know, when this first started, but we figured out pretty quickly that he he would not be involved with, with the case. One of the first things that I noticed was a large bay window in the kitchen and that that was propped open. It was definitely big enough that a smaller person could climb through it if they needed to. 
it would have been a tight space, but it was definitely open and possible that someone had climbed in that way. When I got into the kitchen, I could see that there was broken glass on the floor. There was a glass table turned over and then a glass vase on the stairs leading down to where Sue was found that was in the middle of the stairs. So obviously it didn't belong there, but I did take note that it it wasn't broken. When I got down to where Sue was on the basement level, I could see that there was blood on the walls, that there was shattered glass around her body. So at that moment, I I knew that it was going to be a homicide. When we went to move Sue to check her for injuries, we could see that she had a fairly large injury to the top of her head. And when we moved her body, we found the, the neck of an alcohol bottle. It was my belief she'd been hit over the head with the bottle. Cause of death was blunt force trauma and asphyxia, which are synonymous with strangulation and some sort of impact injury, which would be the bottle hitting her head. She was obviously hit very hard. We are under the assumption that someone broke into this home and killed her during the course of a burglary or a robbery. The day Sue was murdered, I was at work, I was at my desk, and I heard from one of her students And he said, you know, your friend, the professor, it's like, yeah. And he said, when was the last time you saw or spoke to her? And I said, oh, about three weeks ago, I was at her house for a a barbecue. And she left me a message a couple of weeks before to wish me a happy Jewish New Year. He said, well, I have some really bad news. It's like, she was murdered. And I was in shock, of course. And I said, no. Beverly Myers was a close friend of Sue's and had known her for 25 years. Sue was a very interesting person. <laughs> she, she was multidimensional. She didn't dress like other people. She always wore very funky, colorful clothes. And in that way, it was funny because her career, her initial career was a CPA, a tax accountant of all things, which was, you know, dry <laughs> and, uh, you know, very conservative. I mean, she just was bursting with personality and wasn't afraid to say what was on her mind. She also was very involved in a lot of philanthropic endeavors. And she said, they used to joke that she was the president of everything. The person that would get everybody to join and get involved in these silent auctions and philanthropic things. There was no one who didn't want to help and be with you and try to assist you in any way she could than Sue Markham, of course. Don Williamson is a professor and the former chair of the accounting department at American University. He's the one who hired Sue to teach there. She truly had a passion for taxation and accounting, but Sue really had a distinctive personality and a distinctive style. She expressed it in how she dressed. She expressed it in how she talked. She expressed it in how she reached out to the world and was able to attract people to her. Her students simply worshipped her. And she really, really connected with them and really excelled at it and really enjoyed doing it. Sue never had children. I think she wanted them. And as a result, connecting with her students this way, I can't help but feel that perhaps her classes were in some way a substitute for having her own family and her own children. At Sue's home, Detective Haley and his team collect evidence and quickly make several curious discoveries. On the kitchen counter, there were two 
shot glasses that were like a decorative shot glass. They were wrapped in a leather holder. And when I went up to the shot glasses, I could see that there was residual liquor left in the bottom of the shot glass just a little bit. So that told me right away that perhaps the night before or the morning of, there's no way to know that she had someone at that house that she was familiar with. And that person was going to be very important either to the case or the timeline. There was a second thing also. The glass face on the stairs was made of very thin glass, and it was on top of the glass table that had been turned over above the stairwell. So it didn't make sense to me that a glass face would have fallen a minimum four, five, six feet, landed on the stairs and not broken, and it just seemed to me like that was placed there. As Detective Haley questions whether the crime scene was staged by the killer, he learns that Sue's gold-colored Jeep Cherokee is missing. Obviously, it's my belief at that point that someone, whoever is the perpetrator of this, has also stolen her car. So we utilize a nationwide system called Miles NCIC. We take the vehicle, we enter in the tag number, and we put it into a system so that if any police officer were to run that tag just out of curiosity or by chance or a tag reader would happen to catch it, it's going to return as what's known as a felony vehicle. And it's going to tell the officer that that vehicle was taken in a murder. And so obviously the officer is going to know the person or persons inside this vehicle should be treated as armed and dangerous. The search pays off almost immediately. Later on that evening, around 10 or or 11 p.m., we got a call from our partner agency in Washington, D.C. that Sue Markham's vehicle had passed through a tag reader on Benning Road, which is down near RFK Stadium. Hey, Unsolved Mysteries listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. There's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for family members, and sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with Gift Mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for my fitness fanatic sister. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Detective Larry Haley believes that whoever killed Sue Markham made their getaway in her gold Jeep Cherokee. Within hours, the stolen vehicle is located on Benning Road in Washington, D.C. 
we quickly reached out to our counterparts down there and asked them if they could send some units to that area of Benning Road to look for the vehicle to see if it was parked, to see if it was occupied. The detective that we were on the phone with said, okay, go ahead, give me the license plate, give me the description. And he said, wait, what What was the license plate again? So we gave him the license plate on Sue's vehicle. And he said, I'm going to have to call you back. That vehicle's right in front of me right now. He initiated a pursuit. That pursuit went all the way across Washington, D.C. to the area of where New York Avenue and Route 395 intersect. As he was chasing the vehicle, the vehicle tried to take a turn onto New Jersey Avenue and hit some ruts in the road. The operator lost control. The vehicle flipped several times. The operator was able to get out of the car and run, but was apprehended a short distance away. Police are searching for clues inside of a stolen Jeep of a murdered professor. Monday night, D.C. police spotted the vehicle, but the driver took off when he saw officers. Police chased the Jeep for a few minutes before it crashed. They caught up with the 18-year-old driver who was taken to the hospital. Right now, he faces several charges, including unauthorized use of a vehicle. Detective Haley and his partner arrive at the hospital, prepared to confront a cold-blooded killer. Instead, they find themselves face-to-face with an 18-year-old car thief. He claimed to have no knowledge of Sue's vehicle being used in a murder, being taken from a home, or anything else, and he wouldn't really tell us anything else at that moment. The suspect's older brother claims that he was the one who found the Jeep abandoned with the windows open and keys in the ignition. He decided to call his younger brother, who liked to steal cars, admittedly, and the brother came and took the car. The brother drove around in the car for the rest of the day on October 25th, picking up friends, doing things that teenagers do. It wasn't until later in the evening when he went through the tag reader and the pursuit happened that he ended up in the vehicle. But ultimately, he kept insisting that he didn't know anything about what had happened with Sue Markham. And their claim was that they had just found this vehicle on the side of the street. With no way to verify the teen's story, Detective Haley turns to science. The forensics team has swabbed the crime scene for DNA and found genetic material for an unknown person in four locations on the shot glasses in the kitchen, on the bottle used to bludgeon her, on Sue's neck, and under her fingernails. Whoever this unknown person was, was in fact the perpetrator of this murder. A DNA match to Haley's teenage suspect is all it will take to solve Sue Markham's murder. It took several weeks to get the DNA return on the young man from the vehicle. In the interim, we're doing search warrants on his residence, on any associates that we could link through probable cause potentially to this murder. That young man did not have a clean record. And so the possibility that he could have been involved in a burglary, it was definitely within the scope of reason. But there was something about him that both myself and the other two detectives working with me, we just did not believe that he would be involved in the murder. And when the DNA results come back? It did not match the perpetrator of Sue's murder. Haley's instincts are confirmed. The teenage car thief is not Sue's killer. 
But now, he's back to square one. There were no witnesses to this event. There was no one heard anything. No one saw anything. It was seemingly very well concealed. Sue Markham was a very neat and meticulous person. She had an office in her home where she kept detailed papers, notes, anything you can think of. We were going through her papers and I found a State Farm life insurance policy in the amount of $500,000. The beneficiary on that policy was Jorge Landeros. And at the time, there was no reason for us to think that he was involved, but $500,000 is a lot of money and can certainly be a motive. After we located the life insurance policy, one of Sue's friends had shown up on the scene and we went out and talked to her and we have some basic questions. Do you know anyone who might have had a a reason to do this? Do you know anything about Sue that would lead you to believe that someone would be this angry with her? She did not. And at that point, we had asked her if she knew who Jorge Landeros was. And she was kind of taken aback a little bit, like... That's someone who was in her life before. Why are you asking about him? That's not somebody she's been involved with for a long time. Beverly Myers, one of Sue Markham's close friends, recalls the first time she heard the name Jorge Landeros. Sue and another friend of ours had gotten together for lunch in the summer of 2005. And that was the first that we heard about Jorge. Sue was just over the moon about this person and she started talking and talking and talking about him and how she met him and just how she felt about him. And we were just speechless listening to it. I don't know where where it started or when it started, but Sue was very interested in the Spanish language and she started taking private Spanish lessons with him. She started doing yoga with him. He was at her house Every morning at the crack of dawn, I don't know if it was like five in the morning and they would do yoga together. He was from Mexico, but he said that he was Ivy League educated. I don't know that that's a fact. And that he had worked on Wall Street and had made and lost a fortune multiple times. Jorge Landeros is a Mexican-American male, six feet tall, about 175 pounds. He has black hair. He's trim. He's well-built. He is very much into the study of yoga. He is a poet. He has actually written a book of his own poetry. The only time I met Jorge is when he came to my office because Sue said, can you help Jorge? He's having some problems with the IRS. But I said, sure. So Jorge had not filed a tax return in several years and then had this big uh, 1099B, as we call it in the trade, with you know millions of dollars of sales. And I really was suspicious when I said, Jorge, how did you do all these trades and not file tax returns? Why didn't you file your tax returns? And then he gave me, I'll never forget the rest of my life. He said, well, I was probably too coked up. And I always remember that. I was probably too coked up. Later that week, I sat Sue down in the office and I had my talk with her then. And I think I made a mistake, frankly, uh, being as candid as I was, saying that this guy was not someone that you want to be involved with, Sue. And, oh, Don, Don, you don't understand. He's so great and wonderful. And he's uh, he, the poetry, you know, he's great and all that. And, and so I couldn't tell her anything. I mean, she's an adult person. 
at the end of the conversation, I said, Sue, whatever you do, just don't give him any money. I never learned anything more about Jorge after that. She frankly never talked to me again about Jorge. She undoubtedly loved him. I, I mean, there's no question about it. she loved him. In 2008, Sue Markham and Jorge Landeros opened investments accounts with a brokerage in Connecticut. We also located financial records that indicated that her home in Virginia, where she had lived until 2008, had been refinanced and she transferred a large portion of that money to Jorge to invest on her behalf. Jorge took that money and invested it in markets that were well-known for their volatility and the type of markets where you can make a lot of money, but you can lose a lot of money. And Jorge lost all of that money. And obviously that was a the stressor that we believed caused this murder to happen, that Sue was very, very upset with Jorge regarding the loss of that money. Not only was he not going to return the money that she gave him initially, but whatever return on that investment that had been promised clearly wasn't going to happen either. 41-year-old Jorge Landeros, aspiring poet, yoga teacher, and former stock trader, is now a person of interest in Sue's murder. When Detective Haley tries to bring him in for questioning and a DNA test, he learns Landeros is in Juarez, Mexico. But a background check reveals that he was recently in the U.S. We knew that Jorge had entered the United States at El Paso, Texas on October 21st of 2010, which was just a few days before the murder. One of the things that we did, because it was very hard to say for sure when he would be entering the United States, is we had a detective, a homicide detective with El Paso police that was willing to help us get a DNA sample from Jorge Landeros voluntarily. At one point, Jorge is entering the United States. He's stopped at the border and he meets with Detective Sanchez from the El Paso, Texas Homicide Unit. Jorge gave what we call a buckle swab, which is the method that we use to collect DNA. It's basically just a cotton swab on the inside cheek of the mouth. And so he signed a written consent form. And once it was submitted after a very short period of time, they were able to say that Jorge Landeros was the source of the DNA that we had found on the scene of Sue's murder and on her fingernails. It's my belief that on October 25th of 2010 that Jorge Landeros went to Sue Markham's residence to address the financial difficulties that the two of them had had together. Whatever happened there may have started off with some niceties. It's it's my belief because of the shot glasses that there was at least a toast of some sort or some sort of friendliness for a little bit. But whatever happened during the course of that evening, it went bad and Jorge ended up killing Sue as a result. Whether he went there to kill her or whether their conversation got out of hand, it was actually the bottle of whatever they were drinking that he bludgeoned her with. What led from her offering him a drink to him killing her? What happened in that house? Detective Haley theorizes that after Landeros murdered Sue, he tried to cover his tracks by staging the scene to look like a robbery gone wrong. He then abandoned Sue's vehicle in a neighborhood 
where he knew the gold-colored Jeep would attract the attention of opportunistic car thieves. He would be well aware that if Sue died, he would be receiving half a million dollars as long as he was not found out to be the perpetrator of the incident, which is why I think he took you know, the extraordinary steps of driving her car into D.C. and parking it with the windows down. It was a good plan. It got other people tangled up in this case and really steered the investigation away from him for a period of time. But unfortunately for him, he shared a drink with Sue. He fought with her. And to her credit, you know, it certainly appears that she fought for her life. And because she did that, she got his DNA under her fingernails. And that is maybe the the most important component of this case is the fact that she fought back. Haley gets an arrest warrant for Jorge Landeros for the first-degree murder of Sue Markham. The next time that Jorge entered the United States and they ran his passport, he would have been arrested at that time and extradited from Texas to Maryland. Unfortunately for us, after he voluntarily gave that buckle swab for DNA, he never entered the United States again. And the man wanted for killing an American university professor is not talking to police about the murder in person, but is staying in contact with investigators through email. Jorge Landeros appears to be taunting police as they try to question him about the murder of Sue Markham. Once we knew that we were looking for Jorge Landeros and he had been charged in the murder, my unit began to reach out to Jorge to try to make contact with him via email, via phone, and Jorge began writing messages back in email to the detectives, basically taunting them, inviting them for tea into Mexico. Obviously, we offered to meet him for tea, but he didn't take us up on that. Landeros also contacts a Washington Post reporter, proclaiming his innocence in a series of flowery emails and letters. In one of his messages, He refers to Sue's brutal slaying as Greek drama and writes, let us all enjoy our popcorn. I started searching on the internet and I found an advertisement that showed that Jorge was going to be teaching a yoga class in a shopping mall in Juarez. Unfortunately, at that time, the way that it works between the United States and Mexico is you cannot arrest somebody in Mexico on the strength of a United States arrest warrant unless the Mexican government has issued what's called a provisional arrest warrant for that person. That's an extremely lengthy process that we go through with the Department of Justice here in the United States and the FBI. Although we saw him there, we couldn't act upon that warrant because the provisional arrest warrant hadn't been issued yet. So since that time of him teaching that one yoga class, he has never been seen since, to our knowledge. In the aftermath of her murder, Sue Markham is remembered lovingly by family, friends, colleagues, and especially her students. Obviously, anyone who had her in her classroom will never be the same again. Everyone can recall probably the moment they heard about her passing and how it was done. She's changed a lot of lives. Thousands of people attended her memorial service that was held in November of that year. Different people from different areas of her life come up and speak, and it was it was just heartbreaking. I just cried through the whole thing. 
I walked by her office the day of her service and it was just covered with notes and flowers and, you know, it was like a shrine. It was, it was unbelievable. Yes, it was sad that she was murdered, but it was more than that. It was that she was loved. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you. Then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing. So you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session. Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com therapy60. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. The effort to bring Jorge Landeros to justice grinds on 10 years later. He is thought to be in Mexico, but some also believe he might have returned to the U.S. I believe that he's in America right now. I believe he's living with someone right now and living off them. My personal view is he's come back to America because he's so smart. He thinks he'll never get caught. At trial, I would expect Jorge's defense to say that he was friendly with Sue. He had been in her home before, and we should expect to find his DNA there. The problem with that argument to me is that DNA in those most important locations, you're talking about on the murder weapon, you're talking about on the shot glasses that were used just prior to the murder, and most importantly, underneath her left fingernails. That would mean that whenever the last time Jorge had contact with Sue, and according to Jorge, that was in September of 2010, so you're talking about a month or to a month and a half before this incident, She would not have been able to wash her hands. She would not have been able to shed that DNA from under her fingernails. And that is just not a logical argument. And it's not one that I think he would win. One of the things that we had learned about Jorge Landeros is that Sue Markham may not have been his only financial victim, that there may have been other women in Bethesda, Washington, D.C., Friendship Heights area, that he was able to get money from also. And that kind of leads into his personality a little bit. 
if that were in fact true, that he would be able to convince highly educated professional women to give him sums of money, most likely on the promise of a return on that investment with him. In reality, he is stealing their money. For Detective Haley, the Landeros case has been one of his most frustrating. It's been 10 years and there's been no justice for Sue's family or friends. He is definitely the craftiest and probably the most intelligent perpetrator that I've come across and I've done many, many cases. Somebody once said, I wonder if he sleeps at night. And I've concluded that he sleeps very well at night. Someday, somehow, there will be justice. And if not in this world, then certainly in the next. And so I am certain that there is a special place in hell for Jorge Landros. If you have any information about the location of Jorge Landeros, please call the Montgomery County Police at 240-773-5070. To see a photo and description of Landeros or to submit a tip, go to unsolved.com. Next on Unsolved Mysteries. And the people are yelling, there's a man upstairs in the jail. He's walking right in front of those windows. We can all see him. You better come, you better call the police. I told them all to go to bed. It was just a ghost. Unsolved Mysteries is a production of Cosgrove Muir Productions and Cadence 13. It is executive produced by Terry Dunmuir and Chris Corcoran. Produced by Lloyd Lockridge, Christine Lenig, Courtney Ennis, Paige Heimson, and Paul Yates. The story producer for this episode was Molly Ryan, and it was edited by Paul Yates. From Cadence 13, editing, mixing, and mastering by Chris Basil, Andy Jaskowitz, and Bill Schultz. Production support by Sean Cherry and Ian Mont. Artwork and design is by Kirk Courtney. Publicity by Josephina Francis and Hilary Schuff. The original theme music was composed by Gary Malkin and Michael Boyd. Thanks for listening to episode 23 of Unsolved Mysteries. Update. Jorge Rueda Landeros was arrested in Mexico on December 13th, 2022. He is being held in Mexico City while he awaits possible extradition to the United States. At the time of his arrest, Landeros was living in Guadalajara, Mexico, teaching yoga and using the alias Leon Ferrara. During a phone call from prison, he claimed, I am innocent, I suppose not of everything, but obviously of what they are accusing me of. Jorge Rueda Landeros has been charged with first-degree murder and unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. While the process of extraditing Landeros to the U.S. continues, Sue Markham's family and friends are hopeful that Landeros will be brought to trial and justice will finally be served. <laughs>